Be Wealthy and Smart, Episode 104. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's episode, I interview Ethan Dornhelm, Senior Principal Scientist at MyFICO.com. Ethan reviews with us the five things that go into a FICO score, how to improve your credit while paying off debt, common fallacies about credit scores, and why the debt snowball prolongs bad credit. He's super informative, and I think you will enjoy this interview and learn a lot about how to improve your credit score. Here we go. Ethan, it's so great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Linda. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Well, I was really excited because the whole area of FICO is not something that I've done on the show before. We've done a little bit on credit, but nothing specifically on FICO scores. And so I really wanted to delve into this with you and just look at it from a very basic perspective of, you know, first how FICO scores are calculated and then how people can improve their scores. So that's what we want to cover today. Great. Well, you're talking to the right guy. Okay, awesome. Well, tell us a little background about yourself, please. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a principal scientist uh, here at at FICO. I've worked at FICO for the better part of 15 years uh, and spent most of that time in our data analysis group. Uh, Our group's responsible for um, turning through millions of of data points of credit files um, to continue to build and refine our FICO score algorithm, make sure that it's as accurate and effective as possible in predicting the consumers who are likely to pay their bills on time in the future, uh, and those consumers who aren't. Great. Wow. That's a long time you've been there. It sounds like you've probably seen lots and lots of changes over the years through this financial crisis we've been through and everything. I imagine things have changed a lot. Absolutely. And that's part of the reason why we're we're constantly maintaining and and staying on top of the latest trends in credit risk that we're seeing, because as you note, um, through the cycles, things can in fact change and change pretty dramatically as they did in the 2007 to 2010 time period, for example. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, can you give us some indication of how a FICO score is determined? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would start just by you know explaining that what a FICO score is. It's a it's a three digit number. It ranges from three hundred to eight fifty, um, and it's meant to be a summary of the likelihood um, that that consumer is going to um, pay their bills as agreed in the future. Uh, so the higher the score, the greater the likelihood that the consumer is going to pay their bills as agreed. Um, and um, lenders, millions, uh, lenders, it's used in 90% of lending decisions here in the United States um, to decide whether you get credit and at what terms you get those credit. And obviously having a higher score helps you get more credit at more favorable terms. Um, the way a FICO score is calculated, uh, it's based on the information housed in your credit file at each of the credit bureaus. Um, there's three major credit bureaus in the United States, Equifax, TransUnion, 
and Experian, each of them have a credit file on you. And basically that file contains information on everything from how you've paid your bills historically, your, your, your credit obligations, I want to make clear, so your credit cards, your auto loans, your mortgage, your student loans, all of that information is contained in your credit file. It, it tells us when the account was opened, it tells us how much the original loan was, if it's a loan, or how high your credit limit is, if it's a credit card, and again, tells you what your current balance is, tells us whether you've been paying that as agreed in the past. And all of that information, along with some other information that's in your credit file, such as if you've had any collections, accounts sent for collections or um, serious public records such as a tax lien or a bankruptcy. All of that information is fed into the FICO score algorithm and then the FICO score weights each of those pieces of information to arrive at that final three-digit score. Fantastic. So does it look at any one of the three agencies differently or does it treat them all equally the same? So there is a separate FICO score algorithm at each of the credit bureaus, um, but the, the, the algorithms, I would say, are quite similar. So generally speaking, if you have a very high FICO score at one bureau, if you pull your score at the other two bureaus, you're going to see something very consistent because we do see that at this point, your data is quite consistent. The information that the credit bureaus have on you is quite consistent across all three major bureaus. Okay, Great. So let's say that someone has a credit score that they would like to improve. What suggestion do you have for them to improve their score? Well, first and foremost, I think the easiest way to look at this is from the standpoint of what aspects of your credit file most influence your FICO score. Um, and on, on our consumer uh, education site, myfico.com, we have uh, what we call the pie chart, which basically breaks down the FICO score into the five main categories of information found in the credit file. So the single biggest driver of your FICO score at roughly 35% or so of the overall score calculation is your payment history. Uh, and that shouldn't be too surprisingly. If we're trying to predict who's going to pay their bills as agreed in the future, whether or not that person has paid their bills as agreed in the past is, uh, we find, the single most important factor. So I would say the number one thing to do if you're looking to improve your score is to ensure that if, you're, if you've fallen behind on any of your credit payments, to get caught up and stay caught up. That can be the biggest positive impact to your score is simply getting any delinquency or missed payment information on your credit file in your rearview mirror. And as it ages, the further and further back it gets, as you demonstrate more and more consistent on-time payment, the better your score will be. Okay. And so they need to look at their score to see if they have any payments because sometimes they have delinquencies that they don't even know about is, is what I've seen with clients. That's absolutely correct. So it's critical. In order to, the first thing you can do in order to improve your score is understand where you stand. And in order to do that, you have to pull your credit report, pull your credit score, and, and, and really review it carefully to, to, to confirm that everything's accurate. Um, and as you say, there's no uh, unwelcome surprises. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's the next biggest piece of the pie? The next biggest piece of the pie is amounts owed. So what we're looking at here is your level of indebtedness. And this can be measured in things ranging from on your credit card accounts, but we also term revolving accounts, how high is your balance, or even more importantly, your credit card utilization ratio. And what that is, is it's a measure of the um, amount of credit that you're using on your credit cards relative to your total available credit limits. So for example, if you have a credit card utilization of 50%, that means you are utilizing exactly half of your 
available credit limit. And as you might guess, what, what the data has shown us is that the closer a consumer is to being maxed out across their credit cards, the more likely they are to miss payments in the future. Therefore, the next biggest thing you can do to improve your score is if you have a decent amount of or a high amount of credit card debt, if you can pay down some of that debt, if you can keep your balances, particularly on your credit cards, relatively low, you will reduce that credit card utilization ratio and in turn improve your score. Okay, that sounds good. And I want to, um, not now, but at the end, I want to circle back around and talk about the debt snowball because um, paying down those amounts owed is one of the things I recommend that's a little different than the debt snowball. And I want to talk about how that can help people's uh, FICO score. So we'll chat about that a little bit later. But what's the third piece of the pie? Uh, the third piece of the pie is the length of credit history. This makes up roughly 15% of a consumer's score. And, and really here what we're gauging at is how long have you um, established your credit history for? You know, how long have you been responsibly managing credit? So um, as I mentioned earlier, one of the pieces of information in the credit report tells us when all of your credit accounts were open. So the specific variables that the FICO score is considering in this regard would be things like how many years has it been since you first opened a credit account? How many years has it been since you most recently opened a credit card? Um, on average, what's the age of your credit accounts? And again, the longer the credit history, generally speaking, the lower the credit risk. So this is one that I would say is less directly actionable from the standpoint of a near-term fix to the score. So this is more just as a valuable insight to know that just generally speaking, as you continue to exhibit behaviors, as your credit file continues to age and gets deeper and deeper, your score will naturally tend upwards, trend upwards. Mm -hmm. So what about if you've had like a bank account for a long time and you close that bank account, will that hurt that score? Good question. It actually gives me a chance to address um, two often confused myths at once. So the first is around the types of uh, accounts that are and are not reported in the credit bureau file. So the credit bureau files really focus on obligations, loans and credit cards and the like. So information about bank accounts uh, are not actually found in the credit file. So we don't see, by and large, that a consumer, what their average daily balance is on a bank account. We don't see if they've overdrafted on that account and so forth. We typically only see if they have a credit card or an auto loan or mortgage loan with that bank. That will get reported and reflected on the credit file. But a bank account in particular should, and your actions around a bank account should have no impact on your FICO score. Wow. That, that's, that's uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go no, on. that's interesting. I'm just saying that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a common point of confusion about exactly what, uh, what aspects of your financial history are and are not contained in the credit report. Now, that said, we do get a lot of confusion around a similar question, which is if I close a bunch of my open credit cards, if I cut them up and call, call, call the issuer and tell them to, uh, to close down my account, Will, will, will that help my FICO score? And generally speaking, our advice is that's that's not you know an ironclad strategy or even a strategy we would recommend in order to improve your FICO score. You may have other very good reasons for closing those accounts, um, but from the standpoint of improving your FICO score, it's it's far from a guaranteed fix. And part of the reason is what we discussed earlier about this credit card utilization ratio. That since we're looking for relatively low utilization ratios. 
if you if you close down some cards on which you have available credit, you could technically remove some of that available credit from this utilization calculation and therefore make yourself look a little more highly utilized than you otherwise were when you had that additional available credit uh, at your disposal. So in, generally speaking, actually, we don't advise consumers to close their accounts in the expectation that it will help their score. So they should just maybe cut up their card but not close the account. There you go. That would be an alternate <laughs> approach that wouldn't have the impact on the FICO score. Okay. okay, good. Uh, okay, how about the fourth piece of the pie? Uh, the fourth piece of the pie is new credit. Um, so here, here we're looking at uh, the number of recently opened accounts the consumer has. Uh, we're looking at the number of inquiries posted on the credit file. So this is actually a dimension we haven't really discussed yet. Um, but an inquiry um, is essentially a notation in your credit file that occurs when a lender contacts that credit bureau on your behalf because you've applied for credit with them. So if I go into an auto lender and I say I'm interested in this car, I would I need a loan in order to finance that car, that auto lender may then ping the credit bureau, request your credit file and credit score. And when they do that, a notation called an inquiry will be posted to your file saying on this date, your this consumer's credit file was accessed for purposes of granting credit. And we uh, actually have found that while it's relatively modest, this is less than 10% of the score contribution, um, there is some indication of increased credit risk if a consumer has a large number of inquiries on their file indicating that they've recently been searching for a large uh, amount of new credit. So the advice there would simply be only apply for credit that you really need. Um, you know, don't necessarily fall prey to any 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 stuffed teddy bear or something like that that's being offered if you uh, fill out an application. Really fo be focused, only apply for the credit that you need, and in that way you'll ensure you're doing, you're doing relatively well in this new credit dimension of the FICO score. Okay, that's good advice. And how about the fifth piece of the pie? Uh, the fifth piece, uh, also at roughly 10% contribution, is the types of credit category. And, and, and what this really, at a high level, is looking at is that whether you're making use and have a have an established history of repayment of both revolving credit, which as we said earlier is credit cards and those sorts of um, credit instruments that the balance and how much you owe can vary from month to month, versus installment loans, such as mortgage or auto loans, where generally speaking, you take out a fixed amount and then you pay it off in scheduled fixed amounts over the life of the loan. Um, and what we find uh, when analyzing the data is that consumers who demonstrate successful management, uh, on-time repayment, in other words, of multiple types of credit obligations, both revolving and installment, um, uh, generally speaking, exhibit lower credit risk. And therefore, uh, having successful repayment history in both types of credit, both revolving and installment, can help improve the FICO score. Okay, so getting back to my original question, that's that's the whole pie now, right? That's correct. Okay, so getting back to my original question, let's say somebody um, has paid off their card every month and they're timely in making their payments and they've had a pretty good credit history and they're not applying for a lot of new credit. Um, and so what what then would you suggest people do to try and increase their score? Well, the, the person that you've just described to me, the credit file that you've just described to me, is actually 
very likely scoring quite high to begin with. Um, you know, if they if they're if they're doing very well in all of those dimensions, um, then to be honest with you, they're likely already in the high 700s or low 800, uh, which puts them in the top 20 percent of the national population. It means that they're likely qualifying for all the credit they're applying for at the best possible terms. But let's say they do have, um, let's say, mid 700s. I mean, they could. I mean, there's conceivably another hundred points there, up to 850. So, is it possible that people score 850? I actually ran into. I can't remember who it was, but somebody I knew once uh, had gotten an 850 credit score, and and it was kind of like, wow, how does that happen? And is that really possible to, for most people? Good question. So, an 850 is possible. Um, but it is quite rare. And again, it's this case of uh, a consumer hitting it out of the park, so to speak, on all of these different dimensions. Uh, and as we talked about, some of those dimensions don't have quick fixes, such as length of credit history. So you, you, you just can't develop a 20-plus year credit history overnight. That takes a long time. And so consumers who don't have that sort of lengthy credit history are going to be hard-pressed to get all the way up to 850, though, again, they could perfectly reasonably get into the lower 800s. Um, and, and really, at that point, you're splitting hairs. There's really little distinction in the eyes of lenders between being just the superb uh, credit risk of an 850 versus the similarly superb credit risk of a consumer with an 810 or an 820. Mm-hmm. Does it help to pay your bills early? Like, what if you pay them the day you get your bill? Does that make a difference between paying as long as it's paid before the due date? Does that does that make any difference at all? Uh, no, I would say generally speaking, it, it's not going to make a difference. And that the reason is because within the credit report, the information that's fed to the FICO score is is is, is only as granular as did they make the payment by the due date or were they 30 days late or 60 days late or 90. So there's no further differentiation between they made the payment by the due date versus they made the payment 20 days before the due date. Okay, that's good to know. So a lot of people probably, if they were going to have one area that they're struggling in right now, it would probably be amounts owed. So someone might have some balances on their card and, you know, there's been this whole idea of the debt snowball, which is which one person says you should just pay off your smallest balances and leave your largest balances until the end, thinking that people will get momentum and psychologically they'll feel better having fewer balances to pay. But I have said that just the opposite is what people should do. They should pay their largest balances down by half, and that will help their credit score and then pay down, you know, all of the balances from there. What what would you recommend for people that have multiple balances? Some are maxed out, some are large. The large ones are maxed out, and then they have smaller ones that maybe aren't maxed out. What would be the best way, from a perspective of FICO, to to increase your score to to deal with that? Right. Well, I, you know, it ultimately depends a bit on the exact makeup of, of the consumer's credit file. And I would say, generally speaking, any pay-down strategy is a positive one from the standpoint of FICO score. Any attempts to reduce your revolving debt and your revolving utilization ratio is going to have positive influence on your score. Um, but uh, I will say, Linda, and um, this isn't just because I'm a guest on your podcast, that... Uh, 
if, if, if I if I had to pick an option, it, the the approach you alluded to that involves paying down your more highly utilized cards first um, could potentially have uh, have a more positive impact on your score. And the reason for that is we talked a little earlier about the thirty percent of your score that looks at the amount owed category. Well, one of the variables we consider there is not just your overall credit utilization, but also how many credit cards do you have that are more than 50% utilized, just as an example, or what's your single highest credit card utilization on any one credit account. So by paying down, starting from your most highly utilized card, you're potentially improving your standing with respect to those those variables that measure not your overall utilization, but your individual utilization on certain high balance trades. So yeah, I would say from that standpoint, again, uh, any pay down is good pay down, but one focused uh, on your higher utilized cards could result in a better score in the long run. Yeah, I agree. So it sounds like that 50% number is kind of a magic level. So should people try to get below 50% utilization of their card? You know, I don't usually talk in terms of specific thresholds. Um, That was just one example. There are other key thresholds, not key thresholds, but there are other thresholds within the score. It's more of a continuous spectrum than it is some magic threshold where you get below it and your score will suddenly shoot up. 100 points. That's less likely to happen than just as you continue a slow and steady path towards reducing your debt, your score is going to incrementally improve 5, 10, 15 points at a time until you look back a year or two later and over the long haul, your score has improved some 80 plus points. Okay. That sounds good. So what if someone has been using a credit counselor? We hear a lot about, you know, if you have credit problems, get a hold of a credit counselor and let them work it out for you. And I've had clients that have done that and they've had cards that have been closed down. And how does that all, how does FICO treat that kind of a situation? Well, I I would start by noting that the simple fact that someone's been to a credit counselor or not, even if that did somehow show up in the credit report, wouldn't be directly factored by the FICO score. So there's nothing, there's nothing in the credit report that the FICO score takes into account that says, oh, this consumer went to credit counseling, therefore they are going to lose points, for example. So let's start by busting that myth. Um, as such, the real impact of going to a credit counselor ties into what that credit counselor ultimately recommends you to do. Um, and we know of plenty of responsible and, and trustworthy credit counselors who provide valuable advice in the vein of what we've discussed earlier in this podcast, ensuring that they you know, get current on obligations that the consumer has fallen behind on and make a concerted effort to pay down their credit balances um, in, a, in a manageable fashion. All of those things can have a positive impact on score. So I'd say the key is just to make sure that if you're going to go through credit counseling, you do so with a reputable and trustworthy um, advisor. Okay, but some of those credit counselors will close down a credit card when they're consolidating the debt for the clients. Mm-hmm. So when they close down a card, are you seeing that as um, one of those length of credit histories going away because they close that down? Good question. No, uh, that's a, another myth you're giving me an opportunity to bust, which is um, when you close credit accounts, it's not going to make that account disappear from your credit history. It's going to continue on your credit file for many, many years. Um, if there were any negative 
payments on that account, then it's going to stick around for up to seven years. And if there were no negative payments on that account, it's going to stick up. We see sometimes 10 or more years it stays on the credit file. And as long as it's on the credit file, you uh, will continue to benefit um, from that credit experience in the form of the FICO score. The FICO score will continue to factor those closed accounts into the length of credit history calculation. Okay, well that's really good to know because some of those credit counselors are doing really good work by consolidating credit for people, getting lower interest rates, and just making one payment for them and making it a lot easier. So now I can feel really good about encouraging people to go down that path. <laughs> awesome. Well, are there any other misconceptions that um, that are common that we haven't covered, Ethan? Well, I think, uh, I think I would call out at least one other, just because it's probably my single biggest um, pet peeve as far as myths, because it can be really harmful. Uh, and that's a, a common perception, that misperception, that a consumer has to carry a revolving balance from one month to the next in order to build up their FICO score. So by carrying a revolving balance, I mean paying less than the full amount owed. Uh, and therefore revolving that balance from one month to the next, incurring interest uh, and potentially other fees. And so I just always take the time to clarify that absolutely is not the case. You absolutely do not have to revolve a balance from one month to the next in order to build your FICO score. In fact, if anything, revolving a balance from one month to the next could lead to sort of that balance bubble where it just the interest starts adding up and adding up and your balances slowly creep up and could end up adversely impacting your score. So have no hesitation whatsoever if you have the resources to do so, paying off your credit card balances in full every month. Know that you're still getting full credit in the eyes of the FICO score from the standpoint of managing that debt responsibly. Well, that's good to know. Is there a magic number of credit cards that is a good number for people to have? There isn't. You know, there isn't one magic number. I think, you know, we talk more about responsible use of the credit cards you have. So if you have 20 credit cards, you're only using six or seven of them at any one time, then you're fine. As long as you're keeping those balances relatively low, as long as you're continuing to pay those bills as agreed, then you're doing just fine from in the eyes of the FICO score in that regard. There's no single definite, you know, exact number of credit cards that will maximize your FICO score. So what about someone who's younger, who just got out of college, they applied for a credit card, they might get an auto loan, and maybe they're thinking about, should I apply for a gas credit card or should I not? Would you cons would you advise them to open some more credit cards? You know, I, in the interest of that credit mix category, I would say if there's a, a revolving credit instrument that could be of use to them, it sounds like they already have again some some installment loans, some student loans, so they've got good a good start developing experience there. But it would also be good for them longer term to demonstrate some experience with revolving products. Um, so from that standpoint, if there's a revolving product they find that's uh, the terms are, are, are reasonable, not too onerous. Um, maybe a secured card. We oftentimes find, um, you know, new to credit um, consumers going the secured card route because they're more easily able to meet the meet the underwriting qualifications and be approved for that card. Um, yeah, that that could be a good way to long term build up your credit history. I would call out that in the very short term, 
since one of the categories that the FICO score considers is that new credit or credit-seeking behavior. In the short term, it may have a slightly adverse impact on score, but again, with a longer-term viewpoint, um, the earlier you can establish that credit history on different types of credit products, the better. Okay. A lot of people are struggling with student loans. That's a topic that comes up over and over with uh, people I talk to. So how is FICO dealing with some of the issues with student loans? And do you have any advice for people on how to deal with those? Other than, you know, they obviously have to try and keep current on them, but there's just, you know, there's just so much trouble with those loans these days. What advice do you have for people? Well, yeah. So, um, I'd start by by calling out that there's nothing in the FICO score that um, specifically differentiates student loan debt from other types of debt. Um, So generally speaking, um, student loan debt is going to be viewed as installment debt uh, and and, and be weighed as such um, in the model. And, you know, the, the advice on student loan debt is much like, I guess, the advice I have for other types of debt, which is um, the the number one most important thing is making sure that you can manage those payments uh, and, and, and keep up to date on those payments. And uh, my understanding is that, you know, if consumers are in a position where they're in a hardship and they find it difficult to stay up to date on those payments, um, you know, there's, there's, there's some level of recourse there to, um, uh, to call their, their, their lending, um, to call their lender and uh, see if they can work out some, some plan or maybe forbearance. Um, which basically pauses their obligations to pay temporarily um, while they get their house in order. Okay, fair enough. So, Ethan, there's a lot of organizations that are saying you can get a free FICO score report now. Is there a place that they can really get a free report? There is, as a matter of fact. There's a a program we rolled out relatively recently by the name of Open Access. Um, And what this program essentially has done is it's enabled the lenders um, who are today pulling FICO scores for purposes of making decisions about the customers that they have, the cardholders they have. It enables them to turn around and provide those scores uh, directly to their customers in the form of their um, monthly statement. So when you may have noticed, uh, for example, um, Chase is a, is a big user of this product, that um, when you log online to your uh, Chase account, you have the opportunity now to click a button that says see your FICO score or the like, and it gives you free unfettered access to your latest and greatest FICO score that Chase is actually using um, to, again, make underwriting decisions about you. Um, so through this program, um, free FICO scores have been made available um, um, to millions of consumers, and the program's continuing to grow in success. We're very excited about it um, because, of course, it's the first step towards that transparency, that key of understanding what is my current score that can lead you down the path of determining what actions do I need to take to improve it, and or is there anything in my credit file, which the FICO score is based off of, that needs correcting that's 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 artificially depressing my score. Mm-hmm. So where can they get a list of banks besides Chase that might have this agreement of open access? You know, that's an excellent question, Linda, <laughs> and one that I would probably have to pose to um, 
the person within FICO who's running the open access program. All I can tell you is it's a, a lot of the, the major banks are participating now and consumers, when they're logging on to their online uh, statement, they should just look. There's usually going to be a banner um, or, or some sort of click uh, opportunity to click with, from their homepage or their um, online account that will indicate if, you know, get your FICO score here. It's usually pretty obvious on that homepage. So uh, I, I don't know if there's a, a unified list available. Uh, I can certainly circle back with you and maybe you can post something um, online associated with this podcast um, if we do have something like that. But if not, uh, many of the major issuers are, are doing this today and we expect it to just grow in popularity in the future. Oh, that's great. I think that's a fabulous idea. And I will definitely post it in our show notes on my website. And Ethan, what information can, how can people reach you or where can they find out more? Um, I think the, 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 the best resource for them would be to go to myfico.com. That's my my and then fico.com. It has great content, great consumer education content. Uh, it also is a place where consumers can go to pull their credit reports and their credit scores at uh, one or more of the three U.S. bureaus. Um, it includes uh, explanation uh, if they pull their report and score of why their score is what it is, so top factors explaining why they're not scoring higher uh, and potential actions they can take. Um, to, to, to potentially improve that score. Um, so again, if I had to advise a single site that they could go to a one-stop shop to learn more about credit reports and FICO scores, it would be myfico.com. Awesome. Well, I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Ethan, for being with us. I've learned so much, and I know our listeners have too. I really appreciate this. Wonderful. Thank you, Linda, for the opportunity. I appreciate it. You're welcome. As you heard, Ethan gave great information about how to improve your credit score. Although I banked with Chase and looked all over the website, I was not able to find any information about my credit score there. But remember, you can get one free credit report per year at annualcreditreport.com. That's www.annualcreditreport.com. And there's tons of educational information at myfico.com and also myfico.com forward slash credit education forward slash articles. And I'll put the links to those in my show notes on my website under episode 104. If you're wanting to know more about where to invest and grow wealth this year, come on over to my website at lindapjones.com and get my free report, Three Easy Steps to Maximize Your Wealth Building. It's a brand new report that will get you on the right path to building wealth. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.